Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Welcome to Real Life. If you're here for the first time this morning, I'm Jim. I'm your pastor, uh, and I am so thankful for this church this morning. There are there's so many neat ways that God is just kind of letting loose in this church. Last week we got to celebrate baptism, and I always like it when the when the courtyard is wet because it means there's new life and a new faith. Uh, yesterday, there were people all over this campus praying for the campus. We're going through a, a small group curriculum called Rooted, and part of that is a prayer experience. So there were people here on campus yesterday praying uh, and, and blessing this place before we even arrived. Uh, there are the homeless are being fed. As you know, we're, we're working with the San Gabriel Homeless Coalition again, and so if you'd like to help serve meals on March 8th and 9th, we're going to do that, and we're going to go build another house in Mexico this spring. So there are all kinds of neat ways that God's Spirit is using you and working through you and touching people in need, uh, and that just makes me thankful as a pastor. That's, that's just a, a great thing to see, uh, and, uh, and I love that. Um, I want to take a, a minute and pray for some of the needs of this congregation this morning. Uh, pray for a new baby that was born this week to our, our life. The Kizik's had their little one. And so uh, pray uh, special blessings of uh, health and peace and rest in that family. It'll take six months before the rest prayer works, but you can pray for it now. Take it. And uh, pray for uh, the Scoggins family and the loss of Roger. Uh, and pray, pray that God would bless them with uh, comfort and love. Uh, pray for uh, some people who have had some cancer diagnoses that uh, God would work miracles of healing uh, in their lives, and um, especially for people who are fighting the flu, uh, which has been nasty this season. Pray for, pray for healing there. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that your spirit was here this morning before we arrived preparing a place for us, and through the prayers and the faith of your people, uh, you show up in power. And so I ask that you would touch hearts of anybody here today who just feels lost, anybody here who feels lost because they've lived a broken experience or just haven't quite found that place where their feet hit the ground and are longing for direction and purpose and meaning and calling. God, by the power of your spirit, direct our way. Uh, light a lamp on the path in front of us. May we see where you're leading and follow joyfully. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we're beginning a new series this morning called Be Rich, because I want to talk to you about all the ways that God wants to make you rich. And before you start to worry that Pastor Miller has gone off the deep end and is going to tell you that if you make a big donation this morning, God will bless you, uh, let me say a couple words first. Um, there's a comedian named John Oliver who did a bit uh, several years ago about televangelists that manipulate people out of their money and use all kinds of conniving ways to take money away from people. Um, it is, uh, uh, he's got a, a show on HBO, and it's not at all family-friendly, so don't take this as a recommendation. Uh, but the video posted on YouTube has over 29 million views already. 
Uh, now, in all fairness, about a quarter of those were just me, so I just kind of watched it over. Um, but it's, it's a skewering uh, satire of churches and churches that manipulate people and churches that steal from people. And we've all seen that, that smarmy televangelist who you know is manipulating people to try to take things from them. Um, John Oliver uh, founded a church uh, satirically, but a real church that he uh, you know, went through the paperwork with the government uh, called Our Lady of Perpetual Exemption making fun of the church's tax-exempt status, and actually opened it and uh, said if you, uh, you said you should call in and posted the number. Uh, if you did call in, you were greeted with a recorded message from him demanding that you send in donations. And in the one month that that church was open, they got over $70,000 in donations, uh, which he then donated to Doctors Without Borders, a mission that does good all over the world. Um, but what he was doing was calling attention to something that we're all a little suspicious of and all a little aware of. People abuse power, and people abuse hope, and the church has done that in history. It's not a new story. You go back to the 16th century, and one of Martin Luther's big complaints about the Catholic Church of his day was that they were promising that if you donated enough money to their building of a great basilica, their, their building campaign, then they would pray one of your relatives out of purgatory, this place that's not mentioned in the Bible because it doesn't exist, like a lobby for heaven, and that if you donated enough money, you could pray, they would pray one of your relatives out of purgatory. Luther, this... Uh, German monk and scholar wrote his complaints about the church and nailed them to the front door of the church at Wittenberg. And the complaints included things like the fact that the church had no right to claim to control God's forgiveness, to be the sole barterers of God's forgiveness, that God's grace was free and that it was open to all. Now, I remember walking the streets of Berkeley as a college student, and a guy came up and started walking alongside of me and explaining his story and telling me that his car was in the shop and was ready to be picked up, but he needed to go and pay for it, and the bank was closed because it was after hours, and he just needed me to walk by my ATM and take out some money, and then he would write me a check that I could deposit the next day in exchange for giving him the cash so he could go and get his car. And I was not swayed even if it was true, I was not letting go of my money. But it struck me that even though I knew it was a con, it was remarkably persuasive. Now, I'm aware that for many people, including people who are here today, including people who are watching online, there's a thin line between the con artist on the street and the the smarmy televangelist manipulating people and the actual abuses of power throughout the church's history and real-life church here today? What makes us different? What stops us from crossing that line? Well, as I enter a series of teachings called Be Rich, let me lay out some of the theology of the church on this one. There's an especially hot place in hell reserved for people who use religion to steal money from people. Okay, that's where I come from theologically. And you've heard me say this before. If you ever doubt my motives for talking about money or talking about God's blessings, don't give to this church. Mail it to the church next door. You're welcome, St. John's. Right? Um, I, I, when the church talks about money, it's, it's not for the sake of the church's coffers. It's for the sake of our hearts and what God wants to do in our hearts. Um, 
I've, I've worked in churches where the pattern was that people who had the most money controlled what the church did and didn't do, and they had the right to say because they were the ones who donated. And I've looked in the faces of people who told me that if I didn't do what they wanted, they were going to withhold their giving. And I've said, the vision of the church is not for sale. And I've paid for saying things like that. I've never regretted it because I think that's what Jesus would say. So let's lay this out. If you're a person that God has given resources to, to steward and to oversee and to, to manage wisely, God bless you. And thank you for your generosity. Thank you for caring. Thank you for extending your heart and risking and faith to manage and give those resources that God has given you. If you are in financial straits, financial dire straits, God bless you. God has absolutely given you every bit as much resources as others. And they may not be financial, but God is absolutely ready to prepare to, to use you and employ you and send you out in his kingdom to do mission and ministry. And that might not be the resource that God has given you in this time in your life, but you are not any less valuable in the kingdom. I'm so thankful for a church that stewards its resources well. I've watched people at real life give generous gifts to one another and do it anonymously, even, even cars. I've seen you give gift certificates and grocery cards to people. I've seen you give hours and hours of volunteer labor and, and uh, skilled talent to helping people in need, those in the church and those outside the walls of the church. Real life lives to give, and you don't have to have a lot to fit in. So I'm going to dive into a series this morning, and we're going to talk about what kinds of riches God has for us. And I don't want anything from you. There's a lot that I want for you, but I don't want anything from you. Let's start with the Bible. Let's talk about what the Bible says about riches and what God wants for us in this life and the way God blesses us. The Bible actually speaks out of both sides of its mouth on this subject. Uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, the people who are faithful to God, who follow God wherever God leads, are blessed materially. Abraham follows God, wanders, goes where God sends him, and everywhere he goes, God adds to his flocks and his herds. He becomes plentiful and abundant. King David, at the peak of Israel's history, is a wealthy king with a, a massive kingdom to oversee. And his son Solomon became famous for the wealth that he amassed for Israel in those ancient days. You see that throughout the course of the scriptures, that when people follow God, they're blessed by God in material and spiritual and all kinds of ways. And then Jesus comes along and messes it all up. Jesus comes along and says, take up your cross and die to yourself. And everything he has to say about money is in the negative. He doesn't have a single good thing to say about it. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it for yourself. Don't steal it. Don't be greedy. Give it away. Don't love it. Let it go. And yet, Jesus promises abundant life to those who follow him. He multiplies bread and feeds the masses with it. He turns water into wine at a wedding where it's run out. So let me cure a little infection that people get here. Uh, people get this infection around the church. They get this idea that Jesus suffered and died on the cross, so he wants us to be miserable too. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus wants you to be happy. And I say that unabashedly. Jesus wants you to be happy the way a good and loving parent wants their children to be happy. Yes, he wants you to be good. Yes, he wants you to be generous. Yes, he wants you to be self-sacrificing. But absolutely, he wants you to be happy. When, when I wonder what does God want or what is God doing, I always think in terms of what would a good and loving parent do? 
What would a good and loving parent do? And if you ask that question, you're going to get pretty close to what God is doing. Because God is a good and loving parent to us all. God doesn't want you miserable. And God knows the ups and downs of this life. God knows the brokenness of this life. God knows the hurts of this life. And when we hurt, it's not because God wishes ill upon you. It's not because God is punishing you. God loves you so deeply, nothing will ever change that. Nothing you do can change that. And he wants good things for you. God is a good and loving parent. Jesus wants us to be happy. And in the midst of calling us to happiness, he's going to to pave a way for us. He's going to show us the way to go. And on that pathway, he will tell us, now, if you want to live a life of true fulfillment, you're going to take up your cross and die to yourself. And in that, he means no contradiction. That is actually the pathway to our true fulfillment. So let me show you uh, step one of living into the riches that God has for you. Step one, I'm only going to do step one today. We're going to be in the series for a few weeks, uh, and I only want to get through step one today. Step one to being rich the way God wants you to be rich is this. Find the right job. It's that simple. Find the right job. If you're in a miserable job that you hate, That's not the blessing that God wants for you. And I don't just mean professionally. I mean the place on this earth where you belong. The place on this earth where God is using you and shining through you, where where God is fulfilling you and touching other people through your love. Find the right job for you. Let me show you uh, a passage in the scriptures where God describes this and the vocabulary that the scriptures use for this. Open in your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or turn them on or follow along on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes the kind of place, the kind of, the theological term is the kind of calling that God has for us. Uh, Paul, a first century preacher, is writing to the city of Corinth, Greece, where there's a, a new Christian church that he started. And there are all kinds of conflict breaking out because the Corinthians are very proud people. Corinth was a rich city. In fact, archaeologists have discovered among the ruins of Corinth polished mirrors because the Corinthians were rich and they liked to adorn themselves and look at themselves. And that's kind of that physical find of the ancient world captures a uh, uh, spiritual reality of the city of Corinth. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at what Paul has to say about finding our calling. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul's going to start out by describing our calling through the lens of spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a specific gift or talent that God has given to you through the Spirit. It's not a natural talent. It's not a natural ability. It's something a little more supernatural than that. And when you're operating within the gifts that God has given you, you find God using you in ways that that seem accelerated, that seem supernatural. You see God bless people through you when you're operating within the gifts that God has given you. And here Paul is going to lay out some of them. Look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And now Paul's going to go through a list. 
There are actually three lists in the Bible, three primary lists of spiritual gifts that God gives to people. This is one of them. One of them is in Romans chapter 12, and one of them is in Ephesians 4. Altogether, there's some 30 or more gifts that are listed in the Bible. Paul's going to go through a few of them here that are particularly important at Corinth. Now, to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. Here, God's talking about a special word of understanding that a person comes to that they wouldn't come by normally or naturally, a special kind of knowing something that you couldn't have known through natural means. This is one of the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians are experiencing. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines now, to understand this, you've got to understand a little what's going on at Corinth. The, Cor- the Corinthians are a rich people, and they're vain. They like to look at themselves, and they're proud of themselves. They're competitive, and they vie among one another for attention. Uh, Corinth was filled with all kinds of religious cults, and they were very proud of which group they belonged to and which, which spiritual experiences and ecstatic experiences they were having in whatever group they belonged to. So when the Christians come to town and they say, you can actually pray for healing and God will bring healing to people's lives, the Corinthians pounced on this. They loved this idea. More spiritual power for us. And then they began to brag about themselves, about which one had the best gift. If one of them had prayed and the, their prayer had been answered, they went around saying to their, their friends, what's wrong with you? It worked for me. Look at the power that I have. Or if someone was an especially good uh, public orator, that person was revered, and, and they, they argued among themselves about who was the best apostle based on uh, how well they could speak. And so this is the context of Corinth. And Paul writes to them, and he says, look, uh, there are all kinds of gifts, but God gives them out, and it's the same God who gives them to everybody. And he gives them all for the same common good to work through all of us. Uh, In Romans and Ephesians, he'll list some gifts that uh, you would talk about in a a secular context as very practical things. The gift of teaching and administration and leadership and encouragement and mercy. These are all gifts that God gives to his people. But he doesn't give them to us for our own vanity. He doesn't give them to us to make us show-offs. And that's how the Corinthians are using them. So Paul will now craft a little bit of a metaphor to help the Corinthians understand how the gifts are supposed to work. Verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Uh, And this is going to be Paul's metaphor. Just like a body has arms and legs and a head and so forth, the body of Christ has many parts that all serve one body. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul's being a little bit funny here, right? 
Those are, that's really gross to just picture, right? Enjoy having that picture in your head this morning, a great big eye just rolling around. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God has made us uh, and called us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, God has put spiritual gifts in your heart and in your life. And it's not just a talent. It's something that by the Spirit you are given to use to, to carry out God's work in the world, to live in God's kingdom. Uh, my friend Casey compares it to uh, uh, wind instruments. There are all kinds of different wind instruments, but the same wind blows through all of them, right? What what instrument are you that God's Spirit might move through you? And what God wants to do is to, to use those gifts to spread his love to the world through the church, acting as one body, not in conflict with one another, fighting jealously over who's the best, but instead shining through us so that the world would see Jesus. One of the metaphors that's been most important to me in my understanding of the Holy Spirit, it comes from John of the Cross, who is a, a mystic in the Middle Ages. Uh, and he says, the, the, the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, are like a window. And a window doesn't run around the building finding a place to be useful. The window just sits where it's placed. And when, when the window does what it's supposed to do, the light shines through it. And if it's a really humble window, you don't notice the window, you just notice the light. In the same way, God has gifted you and God has called you to a certain place. And there are going to be people around you in that place in deep need who have particular physical needs and who have deep spiritual needs. They need to find Jesus. And if you find that place that you're called to and the way that you're made, if you do it well, if you, if you clean the dirt off the window so the window calls no attention to itself, the only thing that's left is the light shining through it. And honestly, if you ever come to that place in this world where you feel God shining through you, where you feel God using you to touch and to love other people, you know there's nothing else like that. There's nothing else like that. No amount of material goods that you pile up on this earth will compare to knowing that you are in the place that God has called you. That is the best of all riches. And what God wants is for us to all find that place together and use those gifts together. Uh, what God wants is kind of like a, a toy that uh, I used to play with, uh, with my kids when they were little. You ever see one of these? It's a, it's a little box, and it has uh, holes on all sides, and there are little shapes that are inside of it. Uh, now, don't try this at home. I am a professional. Um, but it's, uh, it teaches kids shapes and colors and such. And so, you know, kids will look around and they'll find like the oval shape and then they find the oval hole and they find out the oval shape goes right through the oval hole. In first service, I got applause for that little move, but you know, that's fine. No, 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 that's fine. It's, I'll, I'll work for it. And, uh, and uh, the, way, the, the way it works is that, you know, you're teaching kids, you know, uh, <clears throat> a little manual dexterity. They find a shape, they play with it, and then they find out which hole it goes in. And occasionally you'll get that really aggressive kid who, um, you know, will take it and will find the wrong hole but won't give up and will start to pound it in and you find out it's just not going to go, it's not going to go. This is how a lot of us live our lives, right? 
clearly God has gifted me for this. Clearly God has called me to this, but I don't want to do it. So I'm going to keep trying to do this thing over here that's making me miserable. Uh, I saw a, um, a guy uh, who I knew was um, incredibly good with, with little kids. I'm sending this back to Walmart. That one doesn't work. Um, incredibly good with little kids. And he loved little kids. And he was talented and smart. He volunteered in the church's kids program. Uh, he did great things with it. But he had picked up somewhere along the way. Do you want it? <laughs> if it picked up somewhere along the way that the only way to be happy in this life was to be rich. And so he decided he was going to go off and become some kind of financial investor or banker or something and ignore what was clearly a calling in his life to work with kids. And, you know, he, he always struggled through that because he went and pursued this career that he felt like he was just supposed to endure, even though he didn't like it, uh, because that was the way he was going to find happiness. When, in fact, in this life, the way we find happiness is to find what God made us for and to find the place that God has called us to and, and then find the place where we belong. There you go. Uh, this is a, you guys are rough parents. I really had to, had to work for that one. God has made us as the body of Christ so that he might shine through us so that people in desperate need around us would find the love of Jesus. And when we all do that together, it changes the world. I remember hearing a story about a guy whose wife kept asking him to come to church with her, and he kept saying no, and she would ask, and he would say no, and she would ask, and he would say no, and he finally one day gave in, but he only gave in because there was a, a plan he had, a scheme he had. He was going to go with her, find something wrong, and then tell her he never had to go back again because of that thing that was wrong with the church. He's never going to do it again because he found that terrible thing that was wrong with her church. So she prayed, Jesus, just make this experience work. Just Jesus, use this experience in whatever way you're going to use it. So he goes to church, and as they're pulling in the parking lot, he thinks, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell her they weren't friendly. They're probably not. I'm going to tell her they weren't friendly, and then I won't ever have to go back again. But people who had the spiritual gift of hospitality were on the greeting team and greeted them at the door with warmth and friendliness, showed them around, showed them to their seats, made sure they felt greeted, made sure they felt welcome. So he thought, oh, I can't. I can't, can't use that one now. You know what I'll tell her? I'll tell her it's disorganized. It's a nonprofit organization. It's probably disorganized. But there were people with the spiritual gift of leadership who had organized the morning and planned it so everything was planned well and organized, laid out, and there was, there was enough parking for everybody. We're working on it. There was a, right? Everything was organized because people with the spiritual gift of leadership were leading. And he thought, oh, well, I'm not going not gonna to be able to point to that one. I know what it is. I bet the guy up front is boring. That's always the case in churches. And somebody with the spiritual gift of teaching was teaching at that church. And he was engaged, and he couldn't turn his attention away. And when the service was done, he realized, this is getting bad. I'm not going to have anything to point to. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to look under the seats. I bet there are cobwebs and dust down there. And then I'll say the church is bad for my allergies, and I won't have to go back. And he got down on his hands and knees, which was as close as he was getting to a prayer that day, and looked, and it was absolutely immaculate because people with the spiritual gift of serving had made sure the place was prepared for new guests that day. And he had nothing left to point towards. And that's what Jesus wants to do through all of us. Not just so the institutional church can have the church, but so that the world can have Jesus. So that Jesus can use us in those places where he calls us, with those gifts that he has given us, in, in circles of 
deep and intense need so that people could see how great the love of Jesus really is. I want you to know your spiritual gift, and I want you to know how to use it. I'm going to give you a few different ways to go at it. One, a good way to do it is just dive in. Serve somewhere. Let's see how Jesus uses you. We've got a a next steps table in the back. If you want to look for places to serve in the church or in the the ministries outside the walls of the church, uh, go go and check in there and find a place to let God use you. Uh, If you want to look at what spiritual gifts are in sort of a more analytic way, there's a website called spiritualgiftstest.com, and you can go there and uh, take a little test that will hopefully tell you a little bit about your gifts. But the best way to do this is to pray. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe you have a vision for me that's better than the path I would lay out for myself. And maybe it's professional, and maybe it's not. But Jesus, begin to give me a picture, a vision of that, that place in the world where your calling and my gifts and people's needs all meet. And when you put me in that place, shine through me. That's the way to be rich. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us so much, uh, that you want good things for us, that you want deep happiness and satisfaction in our lives, not through greed and accumulation but through walking in the Spirit and feeling you use us and move through us and love people through us. God, I ask that you'd cast visions into the hearts of people who are wondering and unsure right now. May they see where you're leading. May they feel that that tug, that call. Use their gifts and fan them into flame that the whole world might experience your love and know the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.